0: Aloha there, my friends. It is I, Hondo Onaka. Now you know what to do. You must tune in to my favorite podcast, The Five-ish Fangirls. Otherwise, there could be consequences.
1: Tangents as we continue all the way to episode 334 of the Five-ish Fangirls Podcast. And if Chauncey's here, that only means one thing. We're here for Metallica! What else? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Welcome, everyone, <laughs> to this week's episode of the Five-ish Fangirls Podcast. So glad you could join us. Let's start off like a virtual table and see who's joined us this week.
2: This is Brittany and
1: Troy. This is Holly from Wisconsin is Rachel in Indianapolis, Indiana. Hello everyone. Hello. Chauncey here in Indy
3: too. Yes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Chrissy should be jumping in shortly. Hopefully. So that yes, Chauncey is here. It's
3: so been it has, months and months.
1: It has. It has been a while. Like,
3: we've been in like the same apartment, We're stuck here, like in total isolation for months and months. <laughs> yes. And yes. But well, the last I, time, I time we I...
1: really got to go out, we saw Metallica. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> How appropriate yeah. it turns out we're gonna go see Metallica again, but we'll get into that <laughs> <laughs> first up uh well, I would say the news, but we don't have any news uh, okay. <laughs> so been kind of quiet actually, so yay. I yeah, guess. No news is good news. No <laughs> news is good news. We'll take that. Um, yes. So, but we do have some feedback from Shalane. So we'll make sure to do that real quick. So uh, Shalane says she too is excited for Ghostbusters Afterlife. Um, she uh, is excited for Win Wolfhard. He was great in Stranger Things and Carpentry San Diego plus Paul Rudd. Is everybody loves Paul Rudd. Yeah. Um, uh, It says she's also, she also thinks it's cool that movies uh, that we love, like Star Wars, Dress Park, and Jumanji, are getting sequels. Letting the next generation join in the fun. Um, She also says Loki was so awesome and really enjoyed it. Uh, Owen Wilson was great in the series and all those multiverse Lokis, especially Alligator Loki. Chauncey's very confused because he's not caught up at all. Oh are going
2: to have to rectify that pretty quick. I
1: know. I'm just going to sit him down and time to a chair and make him watch all the Disney Plus stuff. Um, uh, she also <laughs> says, did you guys know that Tom Hiddleston plays Captain Hook in uh, one of the Tinkerbell movies? says if you haven't seen them go if you haven't seen them go see them they're a little cheesy fun but cute Uh, she likes them he appears apparently in the pirate fairy which i guess makes sense playing captain hook um she's also excited for season two of loki can't wait to see what happens next um uh, she also says she's been watching the x-files and really enjoying it um she's also been apparently Do deeping diver into Star Wars and learning about Emperor Palpatine. Uh, Mm -hmm.
2: Interesting.
1: Yeah, Yeah.
2: (laughs) I'm kind of going back into my Star Wars stuff too. And yeah, the two books I've got on my reading right now is the last of one of the Thrawn newer trilogies by Zahn. uh, Darth Plagueis, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> which leads into Bum Bum
1: Bum Palpatine. <laughs> yep. <laughs> there's plenty of material out there. There it is, and there's more to come. Yep. Uh-huh. Um, and then she finishes up with a question: Is um, she asks if Kenneth Branagh is in our names in the hat? Uh, And off the top of my head, I don't remember. He probably is, though. (laughs) Odds are he is. So, yes, we will talk about him whenever his name comes out of the hat.
2: Uh Or if you're not sure, Rachel, just add him in. If we pick him again, then we know, oops, you had him in there.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's like off the top of my head, I don't know for sure, but I've also added a whole bunch of names. (laughs) This is a lot, like right before we did it the last time. So i can't remember them all so because i so and i'll look at the list and i'm like ah, why isn't that person on there so yeah like what well, what were we thinking when we first did this why has this person been not included in... <laughs> so so yes the, the 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 names in the hat are always being updated uh yep. yes life goes on and we discover more people. Uh, So so that is Shalane's feedback. Thank you, Shalane for that. So I guess we will move on to this week's main topic and the reason that Chauncey is here. As Because um, as we're recording this, three days from now uh, is going to be the 30th anniversary of uh, what is affectionately known as the Black Album. Officially, it's called Metallica, but everybody just knows it as the Black Album. So, and of course, we can't talk about Metallica without chauncey being here.
3: This is pretty surreal. I mean, it's like, uh, just, you know, being on the Five Ish Fangirls talking about the Metallic album, the Black album. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's crazy because I've been a fan. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I've been a fan
3: since the 90s.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We, we, uh, this is something that we started doing, I think, really in like the last year with the pandemic when, uh, know looking for di- di- different topics you know interesting topics and doing these kind of album you know singling out a particular album of a of an artist that we like um and really getting into it um and you know obviously metallica <laughs> they they've got a uh, you know a, a pretty good uh discography although not as extensive as some other artists considering they've been around for 40 years Mm -hmm. but they really went on like this tear in like their first 10 years because they're getting ready to celebrate their 40th anniversary hence chauncey and i going back to san francisco later this year (laughs) thank you well i mean thank you uh ticketing gods uh for that
3: (laughs) Thanks thanks to Rachel because I didn't actually win the opportunity to buy tickets even as a Metallica Legacy Club member, and Rachel got in.
1: Well, when you have two fan club members in the house, it doubles your odds. Uh, Odds are pretty good. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) but it is kind of funny that you know he's the Legacy member. You know, (laughs) he's the one. Mm -hmm. He he was in the club back when you still had to pay for it and stuck with it, (laughs) paying for it. Until you didn't have to pay for it anymore. Yeah. Uh, so. Meanwhile, the yeah, noob is the one that gets gets drawn and be like, congratulations. <laughs> now give us I mean, lots it, of money.
3: You, you went to your first Metallica concert in 2008. So I wouldn't call yourself a noob. But uh, yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of new fans that just got into them like this year.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, like I was saying, you know, you look at their... Their discography, if you're talking just studio albums, you know, don't don't bother with like the S and M's and Lulu, which we're not even going to talk about. uh <laughs> Just their studio albums. Uh, the yeah, the Black album was their fifth studio album in less than ten years, so they were cranking them out there for a while. But then after crankity, that, they crankety yeah, crankety. Yeah, but then after that they've just been like, eh, we'll release you know, they did Load and Reload, ninety six, ninety seven, and then mm. nothing until St. Anger, and then nothing till Death Magnetic, and then it was eight years in between Death Magnetic and Hardwired, right. so
3: There's a lot of good reasons for that, I mean, this is what I got from being a legacy member, was I read the, the magazine they had a magazine called So What which is based off a old punk song that they cover, and they would do like interviews in that magazine that wouldn't show up on the internet or TV and you could get like an insider view. And if, you know, like the, the reason for it was like, for the first 10 years was they were the unit, right. They had, they had basically had the people in the band that were to get them off the ground. And then they got, they had gotten rid of two or three people. One person quit, fired one. I think the other one just had something else to do. Um, and then it became the four that we all kind of know about—the original Metallica, which is James Heffield, mm-hmm. Lars Ulrich, uh, Cliff Burton, and Kirk Hammett. And then Cliff was killed in a bus accident uh, around the eighty-six. The, uh, well, it was the middle of the Master of Puppets tour, right? So yeah. essentially, you have like this calamity that's in the middle of their momentum—is what what caused them to slow down, right? And then the other thing that slowed them down was this Black album, as we'll talk about it, is they were completely blindsided by the fame and money that came their way because of the song her Sandman." So, mm-hmm. yeah, we'll get into that. But that slowed them down big time.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for a lot of people, this album is, for, it, you know, depending on who you ask, as far as fans are concerned... But I think uh, the general consensus is this is the album that made Metallica kind of go mainstream because oh, Ender Sandman just blew up. Yeah, And suddenly they were just everywhere in and not just in like the metal you know before it's like you had to be like in the metal.
3: Yeah. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but, like, there was a time when that was, like, you know, like, if you have your favorite, you know, insert here, punk band or rock band that's, like, from your hometown that you may have gone and seen, you know, in high school or grade school, like, several times, right? And, like, the crowd is only, like, going to fill a club of, like, maybe 50 people to 100 people, and then you see them five or six times. Just imagine that for, um... Like their first two albums i mean ride the lightning they were really filling like arenas and stuff but like the point is there was an era of metallica that was from like 81 to 84 where you could see them in a club and it was no big deal and you could see them 10 times over and you know ticket prices were like less than 10 bucks or whatever Mm
2: -hmm.
3: this album took them to the point where they played in an airfield in the soviet union to a million people
1: (laughs) Mm-hmm. Wow! <laughs> yeah, and it, you know the this even now this album is just it's just it's still breaking records thirty mm-hmm. years later. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's their their best selling album. It debuted at number one in ten different countries and spent four consecutive weeks at the top of the Billboard 200. It was their first album to do so. Um, it's one of the best-selling albums worldwide (laughs) it's also one of the best-selling albums in the United States since Nielsen sound scan tracking began Um, it's certified 16 times platinum by the RIAA in 2012 it sold over 16 million copies just in the United States and it was the first album to do so when they started doing that Nielsen sound scanning (laughs) so
2: um,
1: and that's not to mention now how many downloads
2: and or <clears throat> yeah well and it's, downloads yeah were made. it's
1: it, it 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 last year it was ranked number two hundred and thirty five on Rolling Stone's five hundred greatest albums of all time list um in December of twenty nineteen it became the fourth Release in American history to reach 550 weeks on the Billboard 200. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It, you look at the Billboard 200, and obviously the top, you know, you're like your top 10 ish is going to be all your new releases. But if you bother to scroll down to the lower half of it, it tends to be the long standing albums that people just you know new generations discover and buy Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and there's a lot of titles there and yeah it it uh yeah it it cracked 550 non-consecutive weeks which is just over (laughs) 10 and a half years
3: (laughs) we we should do this since we'll do this it's fourth
1: in history (laughs) so the first is pink floyd's dark side of the moon
3: which wow yeah i want to introduce uh, a concept here so like in there's another podcast i listen to called metal up your podcast and it's a all metallica podcast and, and every time they talk about metallica as a group um, especially if it's like a new topic they'll ask people to tell like their origin story of metallica how did you ever even learn of the band and the music and what did it what you know what they're all about as a, as a bunch of artists so like we can do when chrissy joins like ask her but Any of you, like, I don't know, start with Holly. How do you know about, what was your origin story with Metallica? How did you even learn what what the heck these artists were all about?
2: Um, Funnily enough, it was with Enter Sandman, but not the album itself. Our parochial, the parochial school that I went to for elementary had a talent show. And one of the girls in my grade got up the courage with her guitar and came out and did Enter Sandman. (laughs) Wow. By yourself. Yeah.
3: That was the first time.
2: That was the first time. And then (laughs) jump a few years later and listen some more to the classic rock stations that were starting to put Metallica in. And then the whole thing with Napster and that. And then I'm just like, okay, I'll check these guys out. And like, okay, hey. And I remember. My dad picking up the S and M album with the uh, symphony orchestra for Metallica, yeah, and just yeah. I was blown away. So, yeah, that's my intro story. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, that's your fault. <laughs>
3: yeah. You're my origin Surprise! Story. Surprise!
1: We started dating. Yeah. He's like,
3: Yeah, but what, like, you, what was your? What do you know about
1: Metallica? Like? And I was like, uh, Understand, man. <laughs> and even then i like barely know the word knew the words
3: wait wait l- let me ask you this then if you knew entertainment what was it about that song that stuck with you uh, i don't know it was just, I just see most people say it's it's the part where he says we're off to never never land
1: i i just i kind of like you played it for me You're telling me, like, greatest hits, and I was like, I don't know that one, I don't know that one, I don't know that one, and then, you know, you got to understand, man, I'm like, that one sounds kind of familiar, and it was probably just from the radio, probably from just flipping channels in the car, because it's not like I purposely had, like, well... Not that we have an have a hard rock station now in Indianapolis. They're alt rock. Used to be that they were the heavy metal station, but now it's like you can hear Metallica and then like Mumford and Sons on the same channel. Like, yeah, that's not <laughs> that's not metal. Sorry. Uh-uh.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah but those beards they just look so hardcore
1: yeah <laughs>
3: like a coal miners beard
1: yeah so <laughs> i just i just knew it just because you know it, it's been used in popular culture you know because it became so mainstream so fast and so i just you know heard it from and that baseline from Man sandman yeah. just it left an impression
2: Mm-hmm. And the ominous, and just how low Hetfield could go—it was yeah. like, ugh, you know, chills down the, sp- you know, going down the back of your spine.
1: But yeah, so yeah, so you know, Chauncey gave me like the greatest, you know, greatest hits playlist. And I'm like, eh, 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 and then he started playing, and whenever I was in the car with him, and. Half the time, I'd end up falling asleep because he was usually on like a trip to his parents or up to the cabin in Michigan. So It's a long car ride. He'd be like, hey, let's play some metallic and I'm like, you know. <laughs> somewhere between him taking me to my first show in late 2008 when we were just dating, we weren't even engaged yet and the entire time, I'm like, when are they going to play the one song I know? <laughs> uh, so, here we are 13 years later and you know I'm like I'm entering to try to get tickets for the show in San Francisco and like, okay I'm going to go buy the tickets for the show in San Francisco now <laughs> so, <laughs> you want to get on the hotel reservations <laughs> like you want a room with a king size bed or two queens <laughs> <laughs>
0: Whichever's nicer.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's like that. And now I'm sitting here wearing one of my Metallica T shirts from when when we well not from when we last saw them, but last time they were in Indianapolis from 2000.
3: Chrissy joined us. Hi Chrissy. Hello. Hi,
2: Chrissy.
1: Hey Chrissy. Yes.
0: F- family family issues popped up, but nothing nothing that was too hefty, I guess. Yeah. But yes. Hello. Hey. I am-
3: we're doing origin We're telling Foncie uh, our
1: Metallica origin stories. How did we discover Metallica? Ah.
0: <laughs> uh, um, I don't really have much of an origin story. I heard Enter Sandman a lot. There we go. And it's, it's over. It's very. It, well, the, mo- the reason I've heard a lot. Of, I've heard it a lot is because it was used a lot uh, in anime music videos. Probably still is. But it was a mm-hmm. really popular one when uh, I don't know if amv.org org is still is still a thing. Um, but one of my favorite ones is a, is a oddly enough, it's a Sailor Moon. AMV is showing the end of the the uh, the first season where it's like it it gives it a really dark and scary tone to the whole thing, even though it is it is a scary episode where everyone dies basically. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that's my that's my most vivid memory of of that is a, is a Sailor Moon AMV <laughs> so I am not I'm probably not the person to ask about uh, Metallica things so I'm gonna you know sit back and listen <laughs> and enjoy maybe
1: learn a thing or two <laughs> maybe, maybe, yeah. learn,
0: maybe learn a couple of things for sure what
3: about you Brittany
1: um, I don't really have like a full experiment because
2: like I was saying before the show my mom was a fan and so was my dad so I just basically grew up listening to them Sure, sure. because I' gonna make everyone feel old, but the black black album came out when I was one.
3: <laughs> right. So. Well, this band is turning forty years old this year, so I mean, it's yeah. it's spanned a lot of people's lives.
1: Mm-hmm. 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 But just just the fact that you know, out of three of us, you know, three of the five of us were all like, "Oh yeah, understand, man." <laughs> you know, that just tells you. In <laughs> various what this, incarnations. You know, just what this album yeah. did as far as pushing Metallica to the mainstream, you know, if you weren't part of like the metal like underground, sure. then you probably didn't know who, you know, the hell Metallica was until this album and the Entertainment was released as, as a single and it just went.
3: Yeah. Oh, well, thanks to podcasts. Thanks to podcasts. I'm starting to realize there are like actual generations of fans that are you know, if you, like, if you claim to be a Metallica fan. Yeah, I think Britney's
1: the only generational one of us, actually.
3: (laughs) Well, I mean, there's some people that just absolutely love what they quote-unquote call the old stuff, and then there's, like, the 90s Metallica fans now, and I mean, lots of people, obviously, it's equal opportunity, everybody can like whatever they like, but Mm -hmm. it's interesting to me that I can meet a person, and if the conversation steers towards Metallica, I can almost, like, understand where they're coming from, their perspective, depending on, like, what they like, right? I've, I finally started to find people that are like big time 90s Metallica fans. And I think as time goes on, we'll actually start to hear more about like the the like the Renaissance Metallica fans when Metallica went back to their roots to in the 2000s to kind of play back this 80s style of thrash music Mm -hmm. where they weren't, you know, trying to be mainstream like they were in the 90s. Um, Mm -hmm. But. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating to me to hear how people even know about him, even if it is just, oh, I I was at Pizza Hut, and I heard Enter Sandman one time. You know, It's, it's fascinating <laughs> it to me. It played on the they,
1: jukebox at, my, at the local <laughs> Pizza Hut. Right.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, I like was the busy Beatles playing were, Dr. Mario. Terrible. Yeah. <laughs>
1: like,
3: everyone talks about the Beatles in terms of just their effect on like, mm-hmm. just pop popular music because it was a transcendence thing, right? You set something in motion in terms of just kind of being an unadulterated you be your style right and it was like the Beatles kind of just brought like this unique generation of style to popular music and then Metallica did the same thing but it wasn't as appealing right because it had such a like a heavy attitude to it but that was mm-hmm. also what made it really attractive to a lot of people because like music is and it can be sort of like a nice uh like release right it's like when you're really really angry or something like that or you're really really frustrated or you just want to like like be apathetic you know like there's certain types of music that that lend lend your ear sort of a helping hand to sort of set your mind down that path and metallica definitely does that for people like there's there's a lot of like um uh myth mythos written into their their songs whether the way they sound or just the way the lyrics are written and then when people interview metallica and they ask like what is this song about it's a lot like the Beatles were Metallica would just say like, Oh no, it's up to you, whatever the song's about. We mm-hmm. really don't want to assign a meaning to it. And that's really nice because then you have an ownership of what you felt like when you connected with a song and no one told you that you're not allowed to feel that way, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's another thing that's neat about the black album is that it was like a nice time <laughs> right before the internet, when popular <laughs> culture all of a sudden sort of adopted this really fringe thing, right? So it's like Guns N' Roses was huge, but that's still somewhat mainstream in terms of the style of writing and just like the, the spectacle they're trying to put out there. But Metallica was like like nothing before it, right? So like you had like Led Zeppelin and Ozzy Osbourne um, before that, but it, they were just counterculture, rock and roll, sort of like drumming up what some of the rock and roll people were doing in the 60s. Whereas Metallica was like, let's be like precision guitar playing uh, monstrosities on stage, you know, in terms of like the spectacle, and like the, the other part of it was that them as people, they were still young, like they're still like not even in their 30s. Like, that's one thing if you look at any of the record or in, yeah, any of the videos of them playing live during the Black Album days. James Hetfield has, like, a full beard and, like, hair down to, like, his back. And you look at him, like, it's, like... a full-man
2: shoe mustache going down to (laughs)
3: equal the hair. (laughs) And for most of the tours, he's, like, in his 20s I look like
1: that sometimes if my hair gets really frizzy.
3: (laughs) Like, if I showed you a picture of, like, the the Wizard of Oz, you know, uh, lion-style facial hair of James Hetfield during 1991 or 2... Like you'd be like that guy's like 40 years old but no he was like 29.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> he looked a lot older than what he actually was yeah.
3: He well here's the thing is he had lived one hellacious life right and that that's what's reflected in the music mm-hmm. you know the, this poor guy like basically was brought up in like uh what's not scientology it's called like christian science and like his family rejected medicine right so his mom died of cancer and he was very young and he just kind of watched it all happen and then his dad abandoned him and the rest of the kids so he was like just basically like life took one parent away and then the other parent took themselves away so what else does this kid have to do but to like just rage against the world and Mm -hmm. you know as a, a deep metallica fan myself like you come to realize that like in his art he's kind of come full circle like now he's like a father he clings to his family and like just makes sure everything is happy and peaceful and like the music itself is actually now about more like togetherness and um taking care of yourself and mental health and stuff like that whereas in the in the 80s it was about <laughs> death and destruction and it abandon yeah, I mean, uh-huh. it's pretty deep stuff
0: mm-hmm.
3: so mm-hmm. but uh the black album was a uh like i don't know if you guys can indulge me here for a second i'll give like a little bit of a timeline like thing so like in 88 through 89 um you know they had cut they have already grieved and kind of gotten well not gotten over they never really got over it when cliff Burton died but like they had kind of gotten past the grieving to the point where they could, they could function they could yeah yeah
1: move on and live life
3: They had this new bass player in Jason Newstead, and they just started hazing this guy real bad, but he would put up with it because he was a fan that had gotten the gig to be in Metallica. So their new bass player was one of their own fans, and that bothered them. But he had tons of energy, and he brought a lot to it. And A lot of people still claim that Jason is their favorite bass player in Metallica. Anyway, so when they kind of got over that stuff and they started making their album in the late 80s called Injustice for All, it was a... you know it was like a departure for them for like the message like the past albums had been about sort of like uh h p Lovecraft stories or like sort of abstract stories about being trapped under ice or uh you know just what heavy metal music is typically about, whereas and justice mm-hmm. for all had more of like a like a rage against the machine kind of feel to it like rage against the government and the economy and all this stuff well. They made a video during that for the song "One," which is about this book called Johnny Got His Gun, and like that's when people started calling Metallica a sellout because they used their presence on MTV to market themselves. So they actually had a, uh, in the yeah. I NH1... guess that's the
1: that's the other that's the other thing too. Sorry to interrupt, but kind of an aside because MTV is just now celebrating a big birthday. Yeah uh so you know the the fact that mtv was starting to become a thing at this yeah. the, during the same time also made right. a huge difference too
3: and metallica wasn't beholden to themselves right they had a record deal with electro records so like they kind of still had to play the game um now yes. they've bought in yeah. the rights to all their stuff and they can do whatever they want but back yeah. then they didn't
0: because how 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 dare you use your your art to you know pay the bills yeah
3: exactly Well, you know, you're coming from an era of like underground metal fans that saw you in clubs and they Mm -hmm. feel like you're their band. And then when you go on mainstream MTV and you're becoming more nationalized, they actually Mm -hmm. had an interview where James Hetfield said a, a fan came up and just spit on him because he made a video. I was like, man, all the way in the like 1987, they were that mad about this being sold out. Right. How so, dare
1: you make a music video so I can see your faces?
3: Yeah. The reason I bring all the reason I bring all this up is because there's like it's this, this we've seen this now a few times in Metallica's career, which is there's this this phase change in what they are as a a commercial artistic operation, right? They're like a they've gone originally from sort of like this pure thrash metal underground thing, and then the black album as as it transitions becomes more la and what's interesting is metallica actually moved to san francisco in the early uh 80s like in like 81 to escape what la was which was glam rock okay so this is them returning back to uh la i guess i shouldn't say that the black album was they returned to la to record and justice for all but again they're kind of going back to the you know the the bank, if you will, the the place where the the music capital of the world is happening, right. And uh, anyway, the, the producer for the album is Bob Brock and Bob Rock is Canadian and was actually based in Vancouver, so they recorded a lot of the stuff and and worked on it in Vancouver. But uh, anyway, Bob Rock was talking about how he had you know he produced like Bon Jovi and he had his own bands and stuff like that, and he was not a metal person. But I was telling Rachel this the other day, there's an interview he gave where he was debating whether he wanted to take the producer gig to produce Metallica. And uh, he saw him live and he was still on the fence. And then one day he was driving through the desert, like, I don't know, going between some places out West. And there was a hitchhiker on the side of the road, a young uh, Native American uh, kid wearing a Metallica t-shirt, just hitchhiking on the side of the road. (laughs) So that was his sign. He was like, "Okay, I'll do it," and he went ahead and signed the deal and became the producer for the album. But the thing is, Metallica it was couldn't not do
1: it ever. a smooth road.
3: <laughs> right? They they couldn't before have ever sort of uh, afforded to work at a studio like what Bob Rock was providing, right? So he was a you know nowadays, like Bob Rock would have been like. I don't know, like Rick Rubin, like the their producer that they had for the the Death Magnetic album, which is like a Johnny Cash, produ- former Johnny Cash producer and all this. He's a high-end guy, you know, in terms of the industry. But what he t- told them was, he goes, I've seen you guys live, and you've never produced on an album the sound that you actually sound like live. And have have any of you ever just like sat down and like, Just played the black album into a pair of headphones or at least like Enter sandman into a pair of headphones and felt how heavy that song sounds Mm -hmm. just got a lot of like width and depth to it in terms Mm -hmm. of like its mix and production and that's that's bob rock teaching them how to layer um songs together like in terms of like multiple guitars at multiple different layerings to sort of fill out the entire uh range of capability for hearing that a human can have and giving you this sense of weight you know and, and implying things with sound rather than saying them with lyrics right uh the whole black album itself even if people like can't stand the music i've heard friends of mine at university say like that, that album is sound so good like they don't care for metallica but they're like the just the production work is sounds so good um that's this bob rock guy that's what he brought to it and like they went there's some like anecdotes about when they made this album that were really interesting like they were trying to get this song sad but true which is their everyone claims that their heaviest song to sound even heavier (laughs) bob rock goes why do you why do you tune your guitars to e and do it like that And he goes or why do you use that note as your lowest note And and james hetfield goes well that's the that's as low as my guitar will go. Because <laughs> well all you have to do is tune your guitar to a lower note and you can play lower notes. And that was like you know, we're Metallica's four albums in. This is their fourth album that they're producing. And they didn't even realize that they could tune their guitars to drop D, which is just a little bit lower than what typically guitars are tuned at. Okay. So they were very inexperienced as musicians. They were very experienced as like putting forth their artwork. Does that make sense
2: uh-huh. mm-hmm.
3: yeah it's kind of like meeting when you meet a producer they they kind of <laughs> do like a little bit of a health check and like are these people you know really in the know in terms of what they're exuding as musicians right so they weren't they were learning new things like they asked a couple times how can we make that bass sound heavier when it get when, when he slaps the bass? so Like Bob Rock literally went with them to a guitar store and, like, they bought a 12 string bass guitar for the song, uh, Wherever I May Roam. There's this really nice loud part at the beginning after the sitar where you hear this wham on the bass, but they had to go buy a 12 string bass guitar just to get that one note for that song. (laughs) And then, uh, anyway, like. I'll tell a little bit of stories about the songs, but you guys can interrupt me wherever I want. Cause I don't want to fill out all the time. Hey, the no,
1: that's why, that's why you're and here. That's
0: <laughs> why you're here. Cause I'm like, well, I, I mean, I really don't have that kind of connection to, to Metallica or the black album or, or anything like that. So we bring on an expert mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> to discuss these things. Cause
3: well, yeah. if any other Metallica fans find this by like, you know, searching, um, yeah. Through the airwaves. Um, I started like my origin story with Metallica isn't is from the 80s. Like, I, I was a young person in the late 90s and I, I got on Napster, right? The whole cliche mm-hmm. of oh, downloading yeah, Lars! Yeah. Napster, <laughs> LimeWire. Well, that was that was
2: the
0: old, the old standbys.
3: Prior to that, I had heard Metallica mentioned by my cousins on MTV, and that was it. And I was like, what that sounds like a really cool word, but I don't know what uh-huh. it is. and that was it and then I think it was 97 or 98 probably 98 I was on Napster and I I think I think I downloaded Metallica because on MTV I had heard the song Unforgiven 2 and I was like I like that song so I started downloading their other stuff and I didn't I actually the first time I heard Master Puppets I was like I I wasn't I didn't understand thrash music like I do now I didn't enjoy it I was like I don't know about this and then when I went I think one evening I went to Meyer with my mom while she was grocery shopping and I bought that's the Symphony Metallic album and I sat in the car with my disc man Sony, you know, and, and I just I have... listened to that whole album just staring out the windshield and I was like completely in awe. Right. And <laughs> after that I bought the VHS tapes to watch the full concert at a friend's house and they had surround sound and it was mixed in surround oh, sound. And nice. It was like I was so <laughs> into metallic after that it was insane. So but, yeah, so, like, I'm not a, like, as as the fandom would call me an OG fan of the band. But, but you're I, not I like old to, enough. <laughs> I like to play one on TV.
2: <laughs> well, even some of their stuff off of the Garage, Inc., where they covered, like, Bob Seger's Turn the Page and Queen Stone Cold Crazy. When I heard Absolutely. that them do Stone Cold Crazy, it was just like, holy crap that's good
3: yeah i think it they told bob seeger um you know that's an awesome song and we wish we would have written that song Mm -hmm. yeah because you know they i they haven't toured they've toured probably more than most bands but not not the most right so I, i the other day i was searching for like how many live concerts different people have had and like if you search for somebody like like tom petty he's got like just tons and tons like thousands Metallica's only played live like like they're almost a, like 1650 times live um, but it's the
1: number of people
3: at those shows that's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. and the other thing is the distance they've traveled right so like they actually played in antarctica they actually played in the north pole they actually played you know in like a, a roman coliseum they've actually played you know, basically every stadium that's out there um, that you can think of, there's just so many, like, random weird locations that they've chosen to play just because they can. And they're adventurers, literally. Like, they, they've turned their art into a corporation, but they've stayed true to themselves, and they, they love whatever they do. And that's what they always try to sort of maintain. So I would definitely not be surprised if they, you know, if they're still up Rocking, trying to get up on one of these or suborbital, you know, mm-hmm. things and playing up. It's only it's a just... matter
1: of time. <laughs> yeah, <I> mean, yeah. <laughs> it's not when; it's if or <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but when something to yeah. that effect.
3: Yeah. So yeah, so uh, the song but... Enter Sandman, Yeah, I, I just want to. I'll, I'll kind of go through some of these songs and place. Oh, so we go. We, can, we, we uh,
1: usually when we do these, we just go right down the track list. So yeah,
3: that's what I'm, I'm going to do. So. Yeah. I mean, jump in with any thoughts you have. But Enter Sandman, to me is actually not a song I listen to that much. I've heard it probably too many times, and I, I'm, I sometimes I will find it and appreciate it for what it is in terms of the riff. And if you ever heard the word riff before, that's just essentially a, a thing you do with a guitar that kind of catches people's ear. Um, yep, it's okay. usually, it's usually meant either for the masses or it's meant for guitar players or it's meant for like other artists within the genre that's how riffs are sort of targeted depending on what they're doing and james headfield is like the riff master like he's that's all he does really well what rachel
1: i was gonna say the the one thing with that or band is like as much as as much as i appreciate it more now but these days if you're seeing metallica Enter Sandman is actually sad because it means the show's over. Because that—that's now their—that's been their show closer for how long? Oh wow! So yeah, you, know, you go and see them, and you—yeah, you see or you hear Enter Sandman, and it's like, oh, the show's over. Yeah. <laughs> Don't play that well, riff just yet. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. They usually play an encore after it, like, uh, like Seek and Destroy is usually their closer now. After or the encore closer, I should say.
1: No, Enter Sandman has been the
3: encore closer. Is that right? Yeah. Haven't paid attention to the set list in a little while. So. Yeah, <laughs> you're just like I'm here for
1: Metallica. Yeah, Enter yeah, Sandman means the. Show Rachel's is here over. taking notes of the set list. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, because I just remember because like uh, the first SNM um, battery was actually the closer for the encore, right. which right. you know was you know that was 1999 but i was like oh that's interesting it was really weird to watch a metallica concert and not have under sandman close out the show
3: so yeah Yeah, they they actually um even as a band you know they they are beholden to that song it's not their favorite song in interviews they'll say you know we we play it but you know we really like some of our other stuff but i it's totally different right because yeah. if you're playing it it's fun it's more fun to play certain songs yeah but you and it's, can't and it,
1: it's not the song that gets the crowd well i mean the yeah. crowd's always excited but it, it's not master puppets whenever master puppet starts as soon as that song starts i'm just like and the crowd goes wild
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah so if you ever go on youtube one day one night and look up uh, metallica live in mexico city in 1991. Um, that's when they struck out on tour on their stadium tour, and they played in Mexico City, the Black Album for the first time. And if, especially if you listen on headphones, the cl- the crowd when they kick into the the louder part of the beginning of Entertainment is louder than the PA system. You can't even hear the band because the crowd goes so. It, it's
1: crazy. like the Beatles. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and, I mean. It's a metal band for crying out loud in the crowd. Yeah, I know, but
1: it's out. like it was the Beatles' problem is they couldn't hear them; they could literally could not hear themselves <laughs> over all the screaming right girls.
3: Yeah. <laughs> so the second song on the album is "Sad but True," and this is that song that starts off with the the da 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 da, and then it just kind of you have this like the sort of awkward pause. And then you hear the drums go and then, it, and then it kicks into like the really heavy duh, 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 then, well anyway when they play that live i mean they're like stomping on the stage and it's really heavy really loud and that i mean that's the one song they always start with where they ask the crowd that do you want heavy and like that's the whole theme of that song it's just as heavy as you can make it sound and uh yeah i don't i don't know what else to say that's that's a fun song.
1: It's a, a it's a concert staple too. That's one you mm-hmm. could almost guarantee you're going to hear. Yeah.
3: yeah, I like that that song particularly with Kirk Hammett because he has a really kind of nice couple fancy little solos in there. But he plays a Randy Rhodes style flying V, which is a where the the little uh, like the little pointy parts of the flying V. One of them is shorter than the other, and Randy Rhodes um, is a Really famous '80s guitar player that used to be in um, Ozzy Osbourne's band, and he actually died in a plane accident um, because he tried to fly his plane through a barn. (laughs) Probably he was he was a wild child. Yeah, that's sort of an homage. It's sort of an homage. The Randy Rhoads style Jackson Flying V is a really famous um, guitar amongst guitar players that do uh, guitar solos and really lightweight guitar um the song holier than thou was kind of a like one of those songs that most people aren't even going to know recognize from the album it's one of those like when you listen to an album it's like maybe the least recognizable
1: i think it's my least favorite on this album yeah it is it's it's kind of forgettable
3: it's the shortest song on the album too
1: Yeah, wait three three minutes and forty seven seconds. That's like a traditional any other song on, on the radio. Is like, hey, this the short one on the album?
3: So you know what's really funny about that song, Rach, is Bob Rock, because if you listen to Metallica in the eighties, they're all about thrash. And mm-hmm. thrash metal is just really fast, really tight, precision music with, you know, yelling on top of it and drums and you know. But Holier than Thou starts off with a thrash style intro, okay, and because of Metallica's just, you know, rise to fame as they were, Bob Rock actually wanted that to be the single for the album. He was not voting for Enter Sandman or any of the other songs. He wanted Holier than Thou. He knows. (laughs)
1: Isn't
3: that crazy?
2: The band vetoed him on this one, right?
3: Yep. They they completely outvoted him. So the story goes that Tommy Lee. From uh Motley Crue was visiting the studio, and he was in the studio, and they were playing "Holier Than Thou," and he was just loving the sound of the intro, just how heavy and thrashy it was. And Bob Rock saw that and in, and in respected Tommy Lee, so that sort of maybe biased him towards saying that that probably should have been the the song of the album. So um, glad it wasn't. Yeah, I'm <laughs> kidding. So um, the next song is called Un- "The Unforgiven." It's the, i think it's the longest song on the album it's close to its second,
1: second longest.
3: to longest yeah um now if you would have asked james heffield in the you know during this era of metallica what his favorite song metallica song was he almost always said this was his favorite song okay i know it's one and of yours it's definitely one of mine uh there is a trilogy right so that's mm-hmm. so weird right we have trilogies and movies but now in Metallica's lore, we have the Unforgiven, the Unforgiven Two, and there's the Unforgiven Three. So he made a trilogy of songs. And if you were to dissect the lyrics, he never really explains what it, songs are about. But the, the the dissection goes like this: It's like the Unforgiven is about can I forgive the world for what happened to me. The Unforgiven Two is can I forgive another person for what they did to me. And the unforgiven three is can I forgive myself for what I've done to the world? Okay. So it's this like really interesting exploration of the concept of forgiveness through like a really passionate, you know, ballad really. It's what the song is because when Lars was designing the song with James, they were laying it out in the idea, the initial sort of naive idea of like, what if we made a song where the, choruses were really light and melodic but then Mm -hmm. the verses were super heavy and aggressive which is completely different than what most people do the opposite so if you ever listen to Unforgiven consider that Mm -hmm. they kind of inverted the the intensity of the choruses and verses
2: well and just Um, the callbacks too because they'll have the song and then part one and then do it a couple songs and then you'll get that nice acoustic and then oh, okay, we got another part of the trilogy.
3: Yeah. Plus, I don't know if, if you've ever really keyed in on the guitar solo in The Unforgiven. It's, it's in my opinion, probably Kirk Hammond's best guitar solo for the entire
2: catalog of Metallica. I love it,
3: yeah. yeah. It's one of those things where in the documentary, it's called A Year and a Half in the Life of Metallica, where it covers them recording this album. It's just these couple VHSs you can watch. Like during the time when they were trying to get this solo written, um, Kirk Hammett was under a lot of pressure from the the producer Bob Rock and Lars. They're like, you've got to do your homework. They kept repeating that to him, and they kept pressuring him to the point where he just got so frustrated and got really mad, and then this is the solo they recorded, was when he got really angry and frustrated, and he did a good job. So, I don't know, passion breeds passion, I guess.
1: Yeah. Well, like, during this time, like, what was it, Lars, Kirk, Kirk, and Jason were all having, like, marital problems? Yes. I think is what I read, so, like, you know, there was, they had a lot of personal stuff going on in the background, which you can see some of that in the documentary, so.
3: It's interesting that, you know, three out of the four members were having marital problems, but James was actually going through sort of a a different thing like he had had a very serious relationship and then that ended and actually the woman that he had written a song for that was his previous relationship um he had written with a four-track recorder in a hotel room for her, and then they broke up well that song became nothing else matters which is number eight on the album which i skipped ahead wow so, yeah and during this album's tour Um, When they finally went on the road, he met his wife, his now wife, Francesca, and they've been together ever since. So James, I mean, being a child of abandonment, you know, he's not really taken too keenly on having lots of relationships. So as far as we know, as fans, like he's only been in like a few and then he got married and he stayed with that person the whole time. So, um, you know, it kind of makes sense for a guy that's been through what he's been through. So, um, the song "Wherever my, I May Roam" is all about touring. So they
1: oh, I love this song. <laughs> oh, that song, one of my personal favorites. It. It, it it may be about touring for some people. For me, it's just about living life and exploring, and you know the the need to like you know wander and and experience new places and new things. There, there's one line in there that. Uh, just gets me every time it's towards the end it's like you know come upon my stone you know like your gravestone it's like my body lies but still I roam I'm like that's so gonna be me like I'm gonna be wanting to like travel even when I'm dead
3: (laughs) that's awesome yeah I I sometimes I purposely don't read Metallica Lyrics at all because I, I like what Rachel just said. Like I didn't realize that that song struck her like that, and it's kind of cool to go back and oh, yeah. see that because it's like, yeah, wow, that's that neat just, I didn't even know yeah, that lyric this, was in there. The,
1: this song just the the the, the wanderlust <laughs> that just speaks to me. Yeah, on so, so many
3: levels. The sort of the definitive version of the song, if you ask me, is I think what Kirk hammond has cited in an interview is the definitive version. If you listen to the 1999 S and M album where they play with the symphony. Um, for some reason, it just really works with the symphony, of the song. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the neat thing about "Wherever I May Roam" is it's it's meant to be really heavy, but it starts out with a sitar. <laughs> 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 so, yeah.
1: Hey, they you know a what? Of, a lot of things so, that not just Metallica did on like this album, but other other artists have done throughout time. You can go back and thank the Beatles. Yep.
2: Yeah.
1: And George Harrison hey, Let's put some sitar in this album. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's just title the album after ourselves and just make it one solid color on the front.
3: <laughs> mm-hmm. There's a. There's and and have a hidden
1: Rattlesnake, or I think it's a rattlesnake. Yeah, it's the, so the it's the the "Don't Tread on color. Me" like you see on mm-hmm. the military. Yeah.
3: I saw some, some kid had a funny silly illustration of that snake and it says it was looking like the flag has the yellow background, but it was like a kid drew the snake and it says, Don't step don't step on snick. S-N-E-K. <laughs> <It's a> snake. <laughs>
1: snake. Don't
3: step
0: on SNC. <laughs> <laughs>
3: There's a an interesting little thing that crosses across this whole album, which is that um when Bob Rock was putting together the percussion stuff he he liked where it was going with the western theming so like there's some imagery they put in with the sitar but then they put in some acoustic guitar in the unforgiven and it has a western feel to it and so literally bob rock went out and grabbed a whole bunch of different percussion things like like rain sticks and rattlers and all kinds of things you might hear in a spaghetti western like you know mariconi song and um he just put it on a table, and if you watch the documentary, Lars is just kind of going through and exploring, and he, they just layered in like several different little instances of these random, these random instruments, and you'll hear them in wherever I may roam in the Unforgiven most prominently. They're definitely in other songs on the album, but like that that gives uh, a feeling if you listen to this album beginning to end, like a vinyl or something, it has like a Western desert kind of feel to it. It's like. There's a Miley Cyrus has covered uh, Nothing Else Matters recently. And I was a lot of people are asking, like, what's this music video about, you know, that she made for it. And, it? and I think it's just imagery. Like, it's all in the West. It's a cowboy or a desperado of some some type journeying through the desert. And honestly, I mean, that's not more of a nail on the head piece of imagery for this album than anything else. In my opinion, if you listen to this album and kind of study it like I do, it's like. It has a very Western feel, and I can't yeah, really. That's my head what I got
2: that. from it too.
3: Yeah. Yeah. The uh. This the next song, we were just kind of joking around about the 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 snake on the cover. The don't tread on the me, snake. <laughs> this was in the early part of the the nineties, right? So taxes were a big discussion point in the nineties. Um, I don't know if people remember hearing. I think it was. George Bush Sr. talking about no new George taxes. George H.W. Bush. Do no, yeah. Yeah. So,
1: my best Dana Carvey. Read my lips. No <laughs> new taxes.
3: So no, not only Metallica having some sort of political you know, influence into the album, you also have Megadeth at the same time, which is Dave Mustaine's band, which is actually a, what started out as a revenge band against Metallica because they kicked Dave Mustaine out. Um, He actually went as far as to take the recording of... George H. W. Bush saying that and put it in one of his songs during this time, and that also that Megadeth album that came out at this time is also one of the most famous uh, metal albums of the era. But yeah, anyway, just as an aside there. It's kind of interesting that the Zeitgeist everybody was talking and thinking about that kind of thing,
0: and it hasn't it hasn't died down since. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if anything, it's been become even more applicable. Oh yeah, <laughs> but anyway. Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, there's just oodles and oodles of political, you know, yeah. music out there. But it's interesting that Metallica, which, you know, they pride themselves in, in staying pretty neutral um, for almost all sorts of sorts of things like that. They they actually did sort of change things up a little bit there. Even though, I mean, Injustice for All definitely isn't neutral. I'll just say that. But the rest of everything is. The, uh, the Don't Tread on Me... Um, song. It has a very military style beginning. Um, That's what
1: I always equate Don't Shred On me" with, because isn't that the Marines or something like that?
3: I think it's just like a libertar- libertarian sort of identifier. The, the
1: The Gadsden
0: flag, you know, it's from the, uh, the American Revolution, so... It's you know it it was originally back in the 1700s protesting taxes and 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 lack ah. of representation and and things like that. So and it's been adopted, like you said, since then by you know groups protesting more taxes and and you know being not heard and being um, you know not not represented or or, or being. You know, all all those kinds of things. It really hasn't changed. Just you know, time times change. The message stays the same, basically. <laughs>
3: exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So you know, in terms of music history, that's that's why I bring all that up is because of you know the timing of the early part of the '90s. We were going to
0: yeah.
3: also invade Iraq and stuff like that. So there was the worry about the draft coming back because Vietnam was only you know a couple decades before yeah. then. So uh, you know, then we come to the sort of the hidden gem of the album, which is also sort of like the crux of the album, which is a, a very heartfelt ballad called Nothing Else Matters. Right? But so, though, through, the, through the
1: Never is next.
3: Oh, never mind. I skipped over Through the Never, which <laughs> is probably one of my favorite intros to a song. The the beginning of Through the Never, Rachel, play it if you can right now and edit it
1: <laughs> later.
3: I'll just let our oh listeners go
1: go and go and uh go and play it i'm not i'm not gonna i don't want to get in copyright trouble with lars
3: so (laughs) if you're ever in you know the central indiana area and you see some guy in a subaru with his windows all down blasting metallica this might be the the riff i'm playing because i just like to rewind this one (laughs) over over and over and over it's one of the best ones to listen to in the car in my opinion from this album um it's it's fun it's just fun so also ended up also, being the
1: title of their movie
3: that's what i was about ready to say yeah so at one point in metallica's career when they had really sort of scaled back to the top of the mountain financially in you know 2010 11 12 that era they said you know what let's invest a lot of this capital back into the band let's make a movie because lars loves movies Like that's his thing like if you had to go through hobbies of the band members. Lars is all about art and film, and James is all about sort of like adrenaline rush and having an amazing time outside. And uh, so they kind of combined that and made this spectacle called "Through the Never." So it's a concert film, and they based it off of famous concert films like Pink Floyd had done in the past, and Led Zeppelin had the song remains the same. And they said, "How can we do our flavor of that?" right? So we wanted to blend a story. An imagery that goes with the songs but also this amazing stage that they built this gigantic monstrosity of a stage they put in Quebec Canada and they played there in another place and they kind of edited the parts together but um, they on stage had a giant toilet um, that came down from the ceiling this was to harken back to the early 90s when their first album which was entitled Kill Mall, was actually originally titled Metal Up Your Beep and <laughs> uh the, i'm on the five ish fangirl so i'm gonna censor myself
1: metal up your and, bunghole yeah there you
3: go <laughs> and the front of the album was a toilet with a sword coming out of it and that was their first album cover <laughs> well the record company said no you can't do that you crazy 16 year old kids and they said all right well let's you stupid record company people we're going to call this kill em all and we're, ta- we're targeting you kill all the record company the producers you know so that's the angsty 16 year old kids you know doing that so anyway <laughs> They had that. They also had, from Ride the Lightning, a, an electric chair, a giant fiberglass electric chair with metal all over it. And they had plus Tesla coils to actually produce real lightning up above the stage. They had crosses that would rise from the stage to sort of create the aesthetic of the front of the uh, Master Puppets album. They had Doris, the uh, Doris! giant statue that you would see on the front cover of Injustice for All and as they play the song tweet rolls? to
1: to ask for doris for the concert the 40th anniversary concert
3: <laughs> probably <laughs> let's see lars himself yeah. i
1: want to see doris <laughs> and watch her fall apart <laughs> yeah, so they
3: created this this statue of lady justice from the from an album cover and as they play the song she crumbles and falls to the ground you know it's it's you know justice, justice falling crumbles. apart <laughs> And then, uh, let's see what else they had. They had James Hetfield's hot rods in the movie, with like a. Well, and this was this was
1: after Death Magnetic. So, did they have the coffins?
3: I can't remember if and through the Never they had the coffins. They might have. They, they definitely have video screens. Yeah. So, all kinds of uh, imagery to kind of tell their whole lore, their story of their touring and different stories they've told throughout the years but it's all really just a celebration of themselves they're america's bands you know they whether america wants them or not they're they've been there and they've still they're still here so you know through the never became their concert album that hopefully you know kids that get into metal find i think was the whole design and say oh wow this is really cool and, um wonder about the lore or mythos of metallica Cause that's the way that the story was kind of written and put together. They don't explain anything. There's a there's a thread of a story going through the through the Never movie where there's a, this roadie kid intern. I don't know what you want to call him. Has to find a bag and bring it to the band because they need it, and they never explain what's in the bag. The whole it's like
1: Quentin the Tarantino. <laughs> <Yeah>. mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like pulp mystery. fiction. What's in the briefcase? Nah, never gonna tell you.
3: <laughs> and they they even. Uh, at the end go so as far as to put the bag on the stage with the band and the band's playing with nobody in the stadium and the bag just sitting there. And then that's it. So put what you want in the bag. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, I guess the whole mystery or message they've said for years about their own, their music is put whatever meaning you want to this stuff. Cause it's more important that you have a connection with it than it is for us to tell you what to think. Uh, now we can talk about nothing else matters. <laughs> Which my favorite anecdote about nothing else matters is what Jim Brewer, the comedian, talks about with it is, he's like, yeah, you know, he's like, I I tried to get my wife into Metallica, so I I started, you know, he started out easy, you play her the soft songs, like, no, nothing else
1: matters. This is oh, the closest to Metallica has to a love ballad.
3: Yeah, right. <laughs> they're like, Jim Brewer makes the joke. He's like, yeah, then my wife is like. I kind of like that song. He goes, "Yeah, see, they meld, they've changed. Come with me to the concert." (laughs) And then the whole joke of it is that she she goes to the concert and Slayer opens for Metallica, which is oh boy, it's like
1: it's like my it's like my first experience.
3: Right? Yeah, Rachel's first show. The the opening bands were like full on, like Lamb of God and screaming
1: death metal. That was awful. So Metallica was like a like a reprieve <laughs> when they came on the stage.
3: Yeah, I'm and not they, really into that kind of stuff either. I mean, I'll be I'll be transparent with you. I've never really gotten into screaming metal or anything like that.
0: Good thing you were at their show and not one of the openers. That yeah. one of the openers wasn't it wasn't their show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: most of the well, I'll say. Of the six times I've seen Metallica, (laughs) only that show probably, as far as openers, was the worst. Because like when we just saw them last time they were in Annapolis, they didn't have an opener except for Jim Brewer. Actually, (laughs) Jim Brewer was their opener. Wow. (laughs) And then the local there was the local band when we saw them in Chicago. But then Avenged Sevenfold, which is halfway decent, and then when we saw them in Detroit, it was Avenged Sevenfold and Volbeat, which made me very happy because I was like, "I'm so excited to see Volbeat," and they were torn together, so I was like, "Yes!" <laughs> um, and then the S and M shows there's no opener, so yeah, thankfully I haven't had to deal with crappy openers a whole lot <laughs> except for that very first one.
3: Yeah, I would say get ready for your, for the uh, for this 40th anniversary because like with, one of the things that happened. Yeah, I mean they're really all gonna be all about their roots, right? So they're gonna have people from the early part of what influenced Metallica, which is the new wave of British heavy metal. Now, Motorhead Lemmy is dead now, he passed away, so like he yeah, can't really right. be there. So they'll they'll tribute him. But like Glenn Danzig's still alive. They were highly influenced by Danzig. Mm-hmm. Um punk music. There's gonna be a lot of probably punk music that people that show up.
1: Jim Brewer's probably gonna be there.
3: Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's anybody's guess, of course, but 40 years is a long time to celebrate. And they're, you know, yeah. they're over mm-hmm. the hill, so they gotta, they gotta do it now. <laughs> I mean, tack on an extra 20 something years for each member of the band, right? They're, mm-hmm. they're getting up there. This is the sad, sad thing that nobody talks about. With it's in the Metallica fandom, which is like someday they won't be able to make music anymore. So mm-hmm. to enjoy it while we have them, just don't think about
1: it. Exactly. Until the R word comes out of their mouths, and as if we learned oh. anything from people like Cher and Elton John, even then the word retirement doesn't mean shit. So, yeah. stay with the Rolling Stones. <laughs> yes.
3: <laughs> yeah. They, they anyway, also have expressed the fact that they like, they. Somehow they don't like it and they do like it. The fact that they don't have to release a full album now, mm-hmm. like they have the, they like the fact that they have the option to release like one song if they want. Mm-hmm. So that'll probably be what happens as they get older is just they'll they'll just start sputtering out one song here and there. And um, that's fine with me as long. You know, love my or Metallica. the
2: mini EP. <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, yeah, exactly. They they do love the Ramones and the Ramones did a lot of EPs. So. Mm-hmm. Well, I wanted to ask you. Nothing else matters would probably be second for the most accessible song out there. Does anybody have any stories about the song "Nothing Else Matters"?
2: Um, I don't. Know. major. I mean, I remember it gets a lot of airplay.
1: It yeah. still does. Like I said, it's it's yeah. the most. It's the probably safest Metallica song. It's the one that like you could be anywhere, like in a grocery yeah. store or in a restaurant. Mm-hmm where we are going to have a whole, yeah, a whole mix of people, of different tastes in music, and if Metallica is going to play, it's going to be that one, because it's just the safest for the masked mm-hmm. ears. Because we'll be out places, we'll just, you know, we'll be at like, Fazoli's, and be like, ah! Well, maybe not for I think they only play Italian music. But anyway, yeah. you know what I mean. You could be at like you'll
0: uh-huh. be you'll yeah. be go- going down the aisles at the grocery store exactly. And- but, oh, there's yeah. Metallica. Nothing else matters. They're they're not going to they're not, no not going to play the the uh, the teeth chattering.
1: Yeah, you're not going to hear Master Puppets while you're picking out your produce. <laughs> no.
0: <laughs> that would be something though.
1: Yeah. yeah, that would be a grocery <laughs> store I'd like to shop at actually. <laughs> right?
0: You would you, you would you would scare the old people. <laughs> Although I don't know nowadays the 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 old people quote unquote are the ones grow, that, that that started listening to you know the hard rock and stuff. They might enjoy it. Yeah. like I said, like I know it from my parents. Yeah.
3: So here's know, another. I was just going to say, here's another anecdote about Nothing Else Matters that might be interesting to you. So, this was in 1990 when they were writing this and putting it together. And during the recording process, they actually asked Michael Kamen to put strings to it. Okay. So, if you listen to the album, you can barely make it out, but there is a little bit mixed in of symphony in the background. Right. But they were a little scared to get that far out as a metal band. Right. They were already being called sellouts and they could tell this album was really departing from that. But they had a version of the song called The Elevator Version. They just jokingly called it that, but it's got a lot of strings mixed in, and it's from the early 90s era. But Michael came in an interview, talked about how he had worked on them with the song. All they did was they made the request, hey, Michael, could you put strings to the song? So he did, recorded it, sent it to him, and and he saw him at the grammys when they were winning their awards (laughs) he's like what the hell i've you know it was years ago when we talked how did it go and he didn't hear much of your like much of the strings in there even though he got paid and everything and they're like oh yeah but listen to this and they played him the elevator version and he's like what and then he mentioned hey we should work together more you know this is pretty cool Lars was like yeah let's do it and then Michael came in, expected to hear from him, like, you know, maybe like that year, like 10 years goes by, and then Lars is like, yeah, we wanted to work with you on that thing that you mentioned. He's like, that was a lifetime ago, Lars. That was like 10 years ago. And Lars is like, <laughs> yeah, whatever, let's just it's do it. It's
1: like 1998, early 1999. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, let's do something. S&M won.
3: <laughs> I, I think he actually said something like, Michael's assistant got a message from Lars his assistant and said they wanted to do that thing that you mentioned to yeah. him. And Michael was like, what are you talking about? He, he's like, yeah, you mentioned you wanted to do a project with Metallic. He's like, that was a lifetime ago. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, we're getting around to it now, so clear your schedule. Mm-hmm.
2: I, I thought they didn't want to do it, so I completely forgot.
3: <laughs> uh, you know, when Rachel and I were out to watch the S two show in 2019, I met some people um, just in a lounge, like just chatting because they were wearing Metallica t-shirts. And I asked them about, you know, their, how, their origin story. And they said they had actually gone to the first show at Berkeley university to see Metallica when they played with Michael Kamen in 1998 or 99, whatever it was. And I was like, I was like shell shocked. I was like, cause I, you know, that was my, my first kind of love with Metallica was that concert. And, I was a little kid, right? I was, like, I don't know, maybe 15, and I'm, like, I cannot believe you were there. <laughs> it's, like, meeting somebody that was actually at the Beatles shows that were, like, you know, legendary on, like, the Ed Sullivan show or something.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: So, that that was, uh, I don't know, I was starstruck by fans that were at the show that I liked. <laughs> Yeah, so then the next song is interesting. It's called Of Wolf and Man. And it tells the story of a man turning into a werewolf.
1: There's not really any like, oh, I wonder what this song is about, like, interpretation. This is pretty straightforward.
3: <laughs> yeah.
1: It's about being and... a
3: werewolf. <laughs> exactly. And the, the thing about that is James has a guitar with inlays, like pearl inlays in the all the the frets, and it's literally a man transforming into a wolf all the way up the guitar neck and
1: was was to... was was this song in in any way you know influenced by Kirk and his love for like the universal monsters and like wolf man
3: yes, it was thank you for saying that I was gonna bring that up so if if anybody is ever at like a half price books and you see a book called um uh Too Much Horror business, pick it up and take a look at it. it's an awesome coffee table book showing kirk hammett's love of all things like classic horror films and he has this huge collection and james really keyed in on the concept of a werewolf during this time when writing lyrics so he used to even wear a like a die cast necklace of a wolf head um so i don't know this is just an aesthetic that comes with the early 90s metallica era that sticks with me i kind of like it i think it's kind of funny It's a fun. It's a fun
1: song. It was on. It's on the set list for the first S and M, and I, 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 I probably would have liked to have this included instead of, uh, what's that one song that I'm like, ah, why did they do this for S and M two?
3: That I don't like.
1: Confusion. Yeah, I would have preferred this to be in instead of confusion.
3: The one thing that really sticks out for of Wolf and Man is if you guys ever watched these shows from the '90s, Jason Newstead, the bass player they had then, that quit in the late '90s, he um, he was a really good crowd pleaser, and he would just holler into the microphone and do like gang vocals and chat, like like or or, like he would howl like a wolf and stuff like that. So like he was a real big presence for the performance of that song. So they don't have him anymore because he he quit in the late '90s. So. If they would have replayed that and they haven't played it that much now, it's not a crowd pleaser like it used to be, I guess is where that stands. I like it. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> all right. So the they song the next play song it for Rachel.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you search it, they've got a lot of live versions of it. The next song is called The God That Failed. And it's actually this song is all about tele So um They're actually, I'm sorry. Was it holier than thou? Maybe that was the one. One of these songs is about televangelists and they actually have a music video just showing all the different people on TV asking you for money for, to save your soul, stuff like that. Tammy face
1: crying and all her makeup's running down her (laughs) face.
3: So James has a uh, very um, fraught history with his, his personal religion and, you know, he now has come to terms with it and it's interesting to watch his songwriting from then and now it's it's very different but he was very res- resentful back then as you can imagine being a person that was abandoned by these parents that couldn't even help themselves it seems like because of the way they chose to you know fashion their life their religion so moving on from there you have Uh, My friend of misery, which is a somewhat depressing song, but it's uh, got a really great bass solo for an intro. That one always sticks out to me as one I like to listen to in the car when there's a sunset out or something like that. But it doesn't. You know what they say: misery
1: loves company. So, (laughs) Mm -hmm.
3: yeah, this song doesn't stick with most fans, but I mean, Jason Newstead, the bass player, has a writing credit on this, and you know he's the bass player so i don't know i i think this is one of those ones that jason should be proud of
1: it's It's actually the longest song on the album it beats um wherever my uh, wherever i may roam by five seconds
3: (laughs) i don't really have that many anecdotes about this song or the last song the struggle within um they're just kind of the album's over at this point yeah Whenever I listen to the Black album these days, it's not like Dark Side of the Moon where you have to listen to the whole thing to really <laughs> kind of get the whole album. I just kind of listen to, you know, The Unforgiven and uh, Through the Never, Maybe Nothing Else Matters. And then I hit Of Wolf and Man and then I'm done. I move on to the next album. I don't, I don't spend too much time on the Black album. I think I listened too much in the 90s with it. So
1: it's it's interesting, you know, going from you know, cherry-picking what songs I would listen to, to, I'll actually listen to an album all the way through. Um, their choice in the tracks, the the order that tracks are in, because I know, like, when I picked up, uh was a Reload, and I was like, the first half of this album is, like, badass! And then the second half of the album's just like... it's like you know you could have kept people more engaged if you just switched around the tracks a little so that people (laughs) would be like well that one was okay but this next one is really awesome but yeah you know it's like you get through and you get to like a wolf and man and then you're like well there's still three songs left but yeah whatever let's just go back to understand man (laughs) you know
3: (laughs) (laughs) lastly i wanted to talk about a little bit of their like sort of the cause and effect of their career as just a little bit with the black album because it blew up so big um and then we can talk about like the hoopla that's going on now about like promoting the black album's anniversary and all that the, anniversary. But the <laughs> i mentioned that you know the 80s were kind of wrapping up their thrash underground thing and they were getting into mtv and then the black album they used a mainstream producer, they got a mainstream sound, and then they made a mainstream hit song called Enter Sandman, okay? So when they struck out on tour, uh, it was just supposed to be a regular uh, tour in 91, which would have been, uh, what happened was they went out, Freddie Mercury had passed away, and they went to uh, England to tribute Freddie Mercury Mm -hmm. at his memorial. And during that time, you know, James Hetfield performed – um, a cover of the Queen song that Crazy. Bernie mentioned before, "Stone Cold Crazy." They played with, um, what's that guy's name? Tony Iommi. They played with people from Queen. You know, it was pretty famous, you know, because James yep. Hetfield was just just tearing it up on stage with his vocals. And anyway, during this time in the backstage, Lars is as their sort of like built-in manager because he's just a he's just a wheeler and a dealer. He's back there talking to Axl Rose and Slash from Guns N' Roses, okay? So he talks them up one side and down the other. They drink and stay up all night, and they become really good friends. And it was because of that tribute show and Lars' sort of wheeling and dealing with Guns N' Roses that they they actually formed this pretty amazing lineup of Guns N' Roses and Metallica going out during the Black Album tour, okay? Well, as they're touring, this is when the tragic accident happened when James got caught on fire by pyro on stage in Canada.
1: The anniversary uh, of that was yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) People were talking about it on the uh, Metallica Reddit yesterday.
3: (laughs) So yeah, that was really sad and he burned himself, but he was okay. They got him to the hospital, but he couldn't play anymore. So John Marshall, his guitar tech knew all of the songs. He had learned all the Metallica songs and guitar. So he actually stepped in for James and they continued the tour. Well, Guns N' Roses was a highly dysfunctional band, as big as they were at this time. Metallica was a seasoned touring band. like They had made all their money from touring, pretty much. And they knew that like, if you don't play live, you don't make money. So they were like highly regimented right. in their staff to play and do everything. And Guns N' Roses was making all their money from album sales, not playing live. So you had this very different philosophy and attitude together with these, these bands that were supposed to be touring together. And like Axel would cancel shows because his voice was bothering him or he just felt bad or whatever. And you have all these people in the crowd getting mad. And they actually, like the the fans after James got sent to the hospital, they'd only played like a couple songs. And Axel didn't want to go on stage because his voice was hurting him. So all these fans just just rioted, just destroyed the stadium. And that was not good. <laughs> so that was a disaster. And then Axl they sort of. Axel Rose like,
1: is a dick. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I'm
1: sorry, they, but just, nope, they learned a lot there. <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah. They learned a lot on that tour and sort of distanced themselves from Guns N' Roses, but they still and large still has a good relationship with them here and there. But uh yeah. And then what was nuts is Metallica at this time, their album was just surging as it was playing in terms of sales, okay? And it had become a full-fledged phenomenon during this debacle with Guns N' Roses. And Metallica started touring and booking like they had in the past, like booking like amphitheaters and like just middle of nowhere. Like we're going to go to Charlevoix, Michigan, and we're going to play, you know, this random place in Kansas. And like these places were filling up. That's where Chauncey
1: first heard them (laughs) in the middle of nowhere, Michigan.
3: (laughs) Yeah. And uh, Valdu Lakes. That was during the justice era. But like, anyway, they, they, Booked all these and they played those, but they realized at these shows you can watch on YouTube some of these early shows, the amphitheaters are filled to the brim, and then you have like another fifty thousand people outside of the fence trying to get a view of Metallica, right? So you have this phenomenon happening. So then they realize they can easily start selling out stadiums on their own, and we start seeing this transformation. And what's crazy is the the record company realized this and they just basically just kept extending the tour extending the tour extending the tour so imagine you're playing a show maybe twice a week maybe once a week for two years straight and that's what they went through okay Mm. so they couldn't write any songs and record them they were just they just had like little 8 track recorders and they were just touring forever and they're in their late 20s so I don't know, compare where you were in your late twenties. Imagine being becoming filthy rich, but you're chained to this tour bus or tour plane, and you're just playing over and over and over again. So they went through some stuff because of that, and they decided we're gonna take a break. We're gonna take a break, because this is crazy. They all became millionaires sort of in that period. They weren't before. And now all of a sudden it's like what do we do with ourselves because we have this passion and drive they don't know how to process adulthood pretty much uh-huh. and they're millionaires so you get the traditional rock and roll you know tropes that come about and if you study each one of the band members during this time um but anyway they all cut their hair after this right so they all decided you know what let's let's stop being the you know, a Viking-looking metal band, and let's, let's make some art artwork. Just do what we want to do. And they, they wrote all kinds of music during this era. Like, after the tour, they'd taken, like, a year off, and it became a double album that got released as Load and Reload, which were sort of the core of the 90s, all right? And all the fans that were big fans in the 80s sort of turned on them, not all of them, but I should say a lot of them. And when I was in school and I talked about Metallica during this time, you would hear a person say, I love Metallica, but I like the old Metallica. You hear that a lot. You still hear this if you talk to some people. And it's just sort of what happened with the how they changed. But they introduced a lot of blues, guitar, a lot of different kind of technical things that they hadn't done in the past, acoustic guitars. But, I mean, honestly, the, the 90s load and reload stuff is great. I, I love that stuff, too. I love it all, but, yeah.
2: I mean, they and have then, to branch out. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's kind of yeah. almost like their garden party. Mm-hmm. Rick Nelson, yeah. he went to New York, Madison Square Garden, long hair, played his new stuff. Everybody's expecting the old Ricky from the 50s, so kind of, you know, to mixed metaphors they kind of went through the same thing right you have to make music to please yourself and bands went some bands with them and others didn't and Mm -hmm. I'm glad most of them stuck around and
3: the payoff is there well what it confirmed for me is these are living breathing artists that you know Mm -hmm. they pay attention to themselves they pay attention to the world and they make art to reflect that and that's their expression and that's what I like Mm -hmm. Whereas, like, I listened to, like, the Metallica Big Four shows where they did those in, like, in the last 10 years, they played those. And what that is is Metallica returning to their roots, playing with Anthrax, Megadeth, Metallica, and Slayer, which are the, the Big Four of thrash metal. Well, anyway, if you listen to, like, Slayer, for instance, it's like, yeah, it's Slayer. It sounds like Slayer, and it sounds like Slayer always, all the way through. It never diverges from that, you know, style, right? And it was because they're writing music for the angsty teenager in the bedroom. And they never changed from that because that's the formula that worked. It's a safe play. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I would be an idiot to to criticize Slayer because Slayer fans are ferocious. (laughs) But like the point I'm making here is that an artist doesn't just choose a formula, right? An artist expresses themselves and Metallica has done that. I mean, the same name, same anger album that came out in the early 2000s, a lot of people just can't stand that album. And it's, it's one of those albums that was just made based on their expression of what they were doing. I mean, they almost broke up. Like Their bass player mm-hmm. quit. They had to go through counseling. It was a rough patch. And then, anyway, they here we are in the modern times, and they've released, you know, Death Magnetic and Hardwired since then, which were returning to their roots, you know, because they like their roots. And that's why they're doing that. Not because it's a formula that works, but rather they listen to... That old school music in their car not their own but like that from that era so why not it's like me going on ebay and buying toys from the 90s because i want to relive what was fun back in my childhood uh-huh.
1: yeah. what you mean last... you mean james is kidding when he says our new album yeah yeah it's play it's in your mom's prius
3: yeah right <laughs> in the cd
1: player in your mom's prius
3: and lastly I'll say that about like I got the same kind of response I was teaching a summer camp with some you know middle school kids and I was playing uh, a playlist I have called relax em all and Metallica has a song called uh kill or they have a, an album called kill em all but anyway the point I'm making is the song was or the playlist was all like acoustic soothing style versions of Metallica songs and these kids were like I like this what is this I'm like it's Metallica and then we got talking and I played some Metallica, and they're like, oh, yeah, I know this. This is what my dad listens to in the car. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. So I'm listening to dad rock now.
0: <laughs>
2: nothing wrong with that. <laughs> there is
0: nothing wrong with that. Especially now because, cause, you know, I'm listening to, I guess would be now, grandpa rock, <laughs> Boston and Kansas, and the stuff that my dad listened to. When I was oh, growing yeah. up, and mm-hmm. you know, listening in the truck, mm-hmm. and you know, that's just that's what I stuck with.
3: Kansas, <laughs>
0: carry up wave. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah. I need to get a vinyl player. Get some of these yes. old school.
1: Yeah. I miss <laughs> having a record player.
3: Uh, that's it's mean,
0: it is
2: Nice to see the resurgence of vinyl, though. I'm not appreciating the sticker shock. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's worth it. You well, know, so even even knowledge.
1: with the uh, the the reissue that's getting ready to release next month because of the 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 anniversary, you know, Metallica's celebrating, so they they remastered the album and you can order it in various forms. But it, it includes a double LP and cassette. You could also buy it on cassette.
3: If, oh my gosh. gosh, that's more my speed.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then there's also the Metallica Blacklist, which is gonna be in nothing but covers. Fifty-three different artists covering songs from the Black album, but all the profits from that are gonna go to to charity to their all within my hands uh foundation. But yeah, you know, but it's like every song's getting covered pretty much multiple times. By different artists which is why there's so many tracks on it so and some of the, some of those covers have been released because uh, mm-hmm. the artist has done a video to go with it. It's like chauncey mentioned the miley cyrus's cover of um nothing else matters uh, the albums out there weezer's cover of inner sandman they've put out they they have it out on their on youtube channel with a, a video uh so there'll be more a lot of the a lot of the album uh when they made the announcement and they were like listing you know it was a video that they released and they're like listing off all the artists that were going to be involved in this and I'm like i don't know who that is 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 because <laughs> i think there are artists that they probably know uh but every now and then that one would pop up you know that i was like oh you know miley cyrus i know who she is so Volbeat is, oh, yeah. is, is doing a cover darius rucker <laughs> that's gonna be interesting so uh, juanis
2: i think is doing understand and from what i scrolled through that's going to be gonna be an interesting take <laughs> yeah
3: so yeah if you yeah, search it's... on youtube hashtag uh, metallica blacklist you'll get all of the covers that are coming out that have been released uh yeah do a hashtag over. The Volby one is out. I don't know if you've heard that one, yeah, Rach.
1: I have not. I've seen them share it, but I haven't listened to it yet, so
3: I'm sorry, it's just it's just hashtag the blacklist. Uh. or the Metallica blacklist. Yeah.
1: Yep. But those both of those are gonna be uh, dropping September 10th, unless you're a Metallica fan club member and then you can (laughs) pre-order. You get the stuff early. Yep. Those
0: those were your perks.
1: Yep. Mm -hmm. Good times, good times. (laughs) And Metallica is touring. Oh and
3: They, I forgot to mention, they have a whiskey called Blackened that Mm -hmm. is very interesting. There's a in the Metallica Metal Up Your Podcast. They interview the the master or the mixologist or whatever his name is. The what am I trying to say? Master distiller. That's what I'm trying to say. He uh he explained the process and it's got a kind of a marketing flair to it, but it is fascinating. They they have a room where all these whiskey barrels are aging, and they're blasting the whiskey barrels with like. You know huge speakers with playlists of Metallica that just loop over and over again so when you buy the whiskey it'll it'll actually tell you what is vibrating the whiskey casks with the the playlist of the songs so how (laughs) how marketing is that yeah
1: (laughs) so like you could be you could be chilling on your deck on a Saturday evening just you know enjoying the the, the summer breeze you know enjoying the last bits of summer sipping your blast and whiskey and be like ah, i take i taste notes of oak and hickory and the house that jack built <laughs>
3: <laughs> this one's flowery it tastes like nothing else matters
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs>
2: or, or, or no leaf clover yeah, yeah
0: right
3: yeah I mean that would be mine
2: uh uh-huh. yeah, <laughs> yeah connoisseurs
0: can, uh, can can taste taste the notes taste yes. the, the chords
1: take that Skittles oh. <laughs> exactly
3: oh I forgot to mention there's been a lot of hip hop albums that have licensed the riffs from Metallica from the black album because they're recognizable Um you can, I mean, you can look up like people who have reused Metallica in hip hop albums. But like one of the most famous ones is uh, in the song "American Badass" by what's his name? Uh, who's the white trash hip hop guy? Uh, kid Rock. Kid Rock. Kid, kid rock. "American <laughs> Badass" has "Sad but True" in the background, so he licensed yep. that from Metallica just to just it just constantly loops over and over again
1: well in in bits of, of the the chorus of Under Sandman appears in the polka in Weird Al's album off the deep end mhm yep in in his when he he you know, he always has a polka of like the most popular songs oh, uh, of that, that of that an, time so
3: yep that was another thing is at that time right so at, in 91 92 like nickelodeon was just starting to take shape on kids network on tv um, there actually are references to Metallica in some of the scripts for salute your shorts. And it was just because <laughs> of the timing. Yeah. They they the kids were into the Metallica, so they had to, you know, write it into the show because that was They're you know, hip, going hip and
1: mainstream. Yeah. And honestly, I think we're all the better for it. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Yeah. Despite what the, the the naysayers may say about them selling out. I think we're all I think we're all the better for it culturally. Mm-hmm.
3: Water, water into the bridge as far yep. as i'm concerned i love it all mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so i guess the next time i'll probably be on the show guys talking about metallic will be after rachel and i see them um for their 40th and uh, who knows what we'll say about then so yeah looking <laughs> forward to it that's for sure yeah
0: be a good time
3: Let's hope that all things don't get cancelled or postponed or anything like that yes uh, yes uh, just, cross
1: fingers, just cross your fingers, everybody. just cross your fingers between now and December. You know, can you cross your fingers yeah. for like the next four months? No. <laughs> yeah
0: uh i have I have hope, I have hope,
1: me too, okay, we got a positive outlook yes. yes,
0: that is that is what we all need, yes well oh, uh there so, is
3: another like i keep my brain keeps coming up with anecdotes that seem to be important otherwise i'll I'll just shut up but <laughs> tell,
0: tell one more and then we'll then, then we'll right. wrap it up
3: <laughs> so like there was something going on when they were writing load and reload after they made the black album where james was trying to get into um country and western style music so again i mentioned western on the album and they even like sort of made fun of him during load and reload for trying to make like country type songs well he actually struck up a friendship with waylon jennings during this time when they were going going to like the grammy awards and stuff like that he would actually hang out with you know sort of the the outlaws of the old school country (laughs) and western stuff so (laughs) when when waylon died they actually invited james hetfield to come perform um one of his songs it's like it's an out it's like an outlaw song, but you can see it on CMT on a rerun on YouTube like just search for like James Hetfield country music um but yeah he comes in and screams into a microphone on you know CMt so <laughs> that's pretty <laughs> well, cool
0: you know you know I, I gotta say you know having having you know grown up with with country music and and being a bit of a fan of Waylon and Willie and the boys Metallica having a Metallica and and highwayman crossover that would have been fun.
2: Yeah, oh, that, yeah. yes that would have. been uh,
3: Oh yeah. Yeah, there's a mythology there that sort of works.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, what could have been, right? Mm. Yeah.
3: Well, my mind will fill in the blanks. Yes. <laughs> my what is it called my uh my fanfic. There we yes. go. Yes. It, it's your fanfic. You yes. you got you've
0: got Waylon, Billy, Metallica, Johnny Cash. Uh, Chris Christopherson, yes, Jefferson, they all. Yep. They they all throw in some Merle Haggard just for good measure, and, and we're good.
2: Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that would be quite the lineup. Yes.
3: Yeah, and that would have been that would have been competing with the Traveling Wilburys as a yes. Holy yeah, smokes. super. Yes. Always. Yeah, the Yes.
2: <laughs> I was trying to say I was just thinking that I was like, "Yep, right up there with the Traveling Wilburys." <laughs>
0: Now I can't get it out of my head. Dang it.
3: <laughs> I was a highway man.
1: <laughs>
3: well, Quick, with... someone who's
1: really good at mixing music. Make us a mix. Yes. Oh yes.
0: Like... I Ooh, that I have found some really time. good uh, mixes Dominate of songs. Catch-ups. Yes. Yeah. No, no, my, my favorite one, this is way a tangent. There's there's one that I love that is um Hank Williams Jr. singing a song with his father, Hank Williams. And it's like, the oh. it, and the, the editing and the, on the video, it like, it's because they, they have kind of a look alike but it's just a silhouette of, of Hank Williams, like singing in a, in like a studio booth recording and, and Junior is standing outside singing a duet with his dad. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. this is amazing, oh. <laughs> but yeah. So anyway, if any of our listeners want to um, come up with a, come up with a way to mix stuff and. And, you know, share that with us and we'll play it and like totally geek out over it. Or just want to talk about, you know, Metallica in general or, uh, you know, any anything, anything that you, you find interesting. Uh, send us some feedback. Fiveishfangirls at gmail.com is is the place to send it. You can also go to the fiveishfangirls.com to get links to our social media, our YouTube channel and all the myriad ways there are to support us. And again, thank you for listening. Thank you for your, all your support and feedback and all the cool stuff you send us because you rock. Maybe not the same way Metallica rocks, but you rock just the same. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Throw the horns, man.
2: <laughs>
1: uh, 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 yeah. All right. So with that, we shall sign off for this week. This is Brittany and Troy saying goodnight. This
0: is Chrissy saying goodnight from Salt Lake City.
1: This is Holly from Wisconsin saying good evening. And this is Rachel and Chauncey in Indianapolis, Indiana saying, Yeah! Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> if you wish to support us monetarily, you can do so at patreon.com slash five fangirls podcast. All money goes towards fees and equipment to keep the show going. For official Fivish Fangirls merchandise, visit redbubble.com slash people slash 5 fangirls. We love hearing from our listeners and encourage feedback. You can email us at 5ishfangirls at gmail.com. You could also like and follow us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash fiveish fangirls.